Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So this is the pardon test. So anyone who knows it's been here for the last few weeks will know that it's been 10 tests. And they've come from, from this book, which is uh, from, De- from Dream to Destiny by Robert Morris. If you have not read this book and you would like to, mine's here, you can have it. It's a great read. You need to read it if you haven't. Because you will get more from this book than you will from the 10 talks. You will get a lot from the 10 talks, but there's a hell of a lot more in that book than I can get in in 15 minutes. Just saying. Not that good. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. Um, this one is a personal one for me. So when Sam first put out that he would like 10 speakers to bring these 10 tests, being a man, I was like, power, Sam, can I have power? And he was like, no, you're not having power. Definitely not. <laughs> oh, it's like, all oh, right, fair enough. He's like, how about doing pardon? I was like, oh, pardon, is, is, is that really a test? And then I was like, and then read the book, and I was like, oh, my life, it is a test. It is a big test, and it's, I think, um, no not Dan or anyone else is talking like that. I think it's the most important one, and the reason I think it's the most important one is it's probably the one that will go under the radar out of any of them. If, like Joseph, you are made the Prime Minister of the world's biggest global superpower, you will probably realise you have power. If, like Joseph, you get handed a shedload of cash, uh, more cows than you can count, more sheep than you can count, more goats you can count, more camels than you can count, you will probably realise that you are quite prosperous. If you get stuck in a pit, you'll probably realise the same thing. I can go on for all of them. But for pardon, you can miss this one. And the reason why this is a personal one for me is because I missed it for 23 years. It's a long time to miss a test. It's a long time to redo a test. So I am now very well acquainted with this test um, because I've redone it so many times. Just for a little bit of context, I'm now 26. I've only had three years of passing this test. It's one you will resit and you'll redo and it will go round and round and round and round and round and round. Make sure you pass it because without it, you will not reach destiny. This is like the final blockage before you get to your purpose. I'm not going to give you any spoilers for Kerry Ann's talk. She's looking at me. I was like, promise, Kerry Ann. I wouldn't say anything. I won't do. So, in the next few minutes, I need to get a lot in here. Here we go. <laughs> the last three weeks, we've heard from, from eight different people who've brought something personal. This one is the one that's personal for me. I am not typical to this church. I say that because Global is the church for the unchurched. I first started going to church when my dad took me when I was six months old, and I, well, I literally got carried there, funnily enough. Um, but to be honest, I didn't get it. I didn't get forgiveness because I hadn't learned to receive it. And that's the most crucial part of this test. Joseph absolutely smashed this one. I can give you an example of how I succeeded this test. Honestly, you don't need it because Joseph smashed this test before he even started. And this is how he did it. Joseph had two choices. He had forgiveness or revenge. This, just to put in context where we are in the story, Joseph's dad has just died. His 11 brothers are still kicking about. They have now just suddenly remembered that they uh, sold him into slavery, which is a bit of an ouch from your brother. And they are slightly worried about the consequences of this. Um, Joseph, when he started out in life, um, when he got to 17, he was a little bit unaware of um, himself. His brothers didn't like him because he was harping on about his dreams that God had given him. Because God, even, even at that point, had plans for him. He had plans to bring him in his purpose. Again, carry on. I'm not going to steal your talk. You'll hear from that in a minute. 
And he's gone through eight tests already on this journey. Now, the question for you is, has someone wronged you in life? Anybody at all? If you've been more than a few years in life, someone will have done something that you would consider is not right. And this is the key part of this test, is that to forgive, someone has to have wronged you. And to receive forgiveness, you have to have wronged someone. When was the last time you forgave anyone that was right? Or anyone that did something nice to you? It doesn't happen. And we've got to learn to let go of this stuff. So, after Joseph's brothers had uh, beaten him up, stolen his all-night clothing, which was a gift from his dad, by the way, uh, thrown him into a dry well, plotted to kill him, sold him to slavery for 13 years, and then, just to top it off, told his dad that he was dead and he was never coming back. Um, Joseph was probably a little bit annoyed. Just a bit. Um, and you could, could have said he would have been justified in holding that against his brothers. Selling someone to slavery is not particularly nice. Um, and you could have viewed this as, well, the cause of Joseph's suffering. He got thrown into prison, he went through all sorts of trials and tests, all because his brothers sold him to slavery. Now, at this point in the story, Joseph is reasonably powerful, is an understatement. Pharaoh has made him his main man. He's given him his signet ring, which is his symbol of authority, and said, basically, Egypt is yours to run. Do what you like. The Egyptians have come to Joseph. Well, they've come to Pharaoh first and said, we're hungry, can we have some food? And he said, go see Joseph. He's my man. So Joseph has fed all the Egyptians. People are on his side. Pharaoh's on his side. He's the main man. What about everybody else who's powerful in Egypt? The priests. Joseph's married into the priesthood. He's married one of their daughters. The other group of powerful people at this point is uh, the courtiers. And to, to sort of hammer home how light and how powerful Joseph is, I just want to bring you this. From Genesis 50, um, verse 4, a little bit onwards. Uh, at this point, Jacob, Joseph's dad, has just died. And Joseph has stood up and he's addressed all the court. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, and then I return. So they go off, they ask Pharaoh and say, how about it? Joseph's quite a nice guy. Um, can we let him go and just bury his dad? So Pharaoh's like, yeah, sure, you can do that. You've made an oath. Go and do it. Now that's great. So all the courtiers and all the dignitaries in Egypt have petitioned Pharaoh for something Joseph's asked him to do. He's not demanded it. He's just asked. And then on top of that, they've all gone with him. The entire courtiers, all the dignitaries, all the lords, all the powerful people in Egypt have travelled with Joseph just to bury his dad. They are quite behind him. His brothers, when they first encountered him, and they didn't realise it was Joseph, they referred to Joseph as the man who is lord over the land. His power is obvious and it's absolute. There is no opposition. If Joseph at this point decides, you know what, it's time to get even, there is no one to stop him. And this is the test. At some point in our lives, we have power. At any level, we have power. We have the power to forgive or not to forgive. That's our choice. That's our decision. No one can make it for us. And this is why this is a dangerous test, is you can fail this one without realizing. When someone does something that annoys you, you're like, oh, that was really irritating. You can hold that in your mind, and that can eat away at you. By the standard of the world, enslaving his brothers would have been just. Joseph's been a slave for 13 years. Um, if he decides he wants to enslave his brothers for 13 years, seems fair. That's getting even. That is, by all accounts, justice. But um, it's not what God's put on Joseph's heart. 
The reason Joseph passed this test is God's already worked on him. Before this test began, before his brothers turned up, Joseph had already forgiven them. And the reason we know he's already forgiven them, there's no point in, this, in Genesis where it says, and Joseph decided to forgive his brothers. But there is evidence to this. Um, when Joseph gets married, he has two sons. This is before his brothers turn up in Egypt, asking for food. And he names them. So his first form is Manasseh, uh, which means, because God has made me forget all my trouble. Sounds like a man who's over it. And then just to top it off, his second son is Ephraim. It's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He's over it. He's done. He is released. Forgiveness. His brothers haven't asked for it, but he's already done it. He's not held that in his heart. Genesis 50, and we get 15 to 18. So this is the point where Jacob is now dead. Joseph's brothers are slightly concerned that he may be out to get them. And here's 15 to 18. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Nice little note there. This is what you are, are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came to him and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now at this point, it sounds like, oh, his brothers are pretty sorry. But look a little bit more closely at this. Just a little bit of context. Jacob's last request is where he's going to be buried. So Joseph knows this because he was there and because his father asked him. That was his final request to Joseph. So not only have his brothers lied about his dad's final words, which is pretty... They've also sent their apology by a messenger. So they've not arrived in person to say, oh, I'm really sorry about selling you into slavery and beating you up and stealing your stuff and uh, telling dad you were dead and then writing you off for 13 years. They've sent some other poor bloke to do it. Not only that, they've done it in third person. They've not said, we, your brothers, are really sorry. They've said, your brothers, as if they're like distant and off. And then they brought in God, just to, make, just to hammer home the point of... Um, if you don't forgive us, you're, you're against God. Well, that's what they try to do, anyway. They are trying to manipulate him. They are, by all accounts, pretty unrepentant. But this is Joseph's response. So this is, we get 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. His brothers weren't particularly sorry, but Joseph forgave them anyway. And this brings home forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness does affect other people. I'd be wrong to say that you forgiving someone would not affect them. But it also affects you. And this is the big point of this task. If you don't forgive people, it will come back to haunt you. I know this because I've done 23 years of it. The first 23 years, and it's cost me. It's cost me. The last three years, I've made more progress in life and made more breakthroughs than any period before. Yeah. Actually, in the last 12 months, I've made that. And the reason is I didn't pass this test. Yeah. Bluntly and simply. The first point up, please. Release. So these are the points I've lifted from the book. The reason is I can't put any better than this. So we'll go with Robert <laughs> Morris. Robert Morris, in this book, says there's three main points. There's three main points to forgiving people you need to learn to pass this test. The first one is release. To forgive others completely is to release them from all charges against them. Even though what they have done is wrong, they are acquitted. Joseph's brothers had definitely wronged him. But in spite of that, he still released them anyway. And he didn't come back later to get them. 
They didn't come back later to throw them in slavery or get their stuff or beat them up or throw them into wells or anything like that. They forgave them and that was the end of it. True forgiveness does not continue to look for justice or vindication. True forgiveness releases the wrongdoers from the punishment they deserve. I'm now going to throw in an example of when I failed this test because you need to learn the hallmarks of failing it so you can recognize that failure. For me, failing it was now, well, it's now pretty obvious. It wasn't at the time. At uni in third year, I shared a house with three blokes. One I lived with for, for three years. He's a man I trusted and got great with and still do. And the other two were quite new. Didn't really know them. It's like that in uni when you suddenly swap around different houses. You end up moving with some people you don't know. Fair enough. That's fine. But uh, despite this, they were more than happy to help themselves to my stuff, which is never nice when you turn up in your house and you're like, I should have, to, should have some more beer somewhere. And it came to a head, and we fell out. We fell out over eight bottles of Budweiser. Silly thing to fall out over, but we did. One of them apologized, one of them didn't. This is, this is a very handy example, actually. Um, and I forgave, inverted commas, like, well, just for the podcast, we say I'm making the apostrophe sign. One of them, the one who was repentant. Um, but I never trusted him again, and I hid all my stuff and did all that sort of stuff. So on paper, by the standards of the world, it looks like I've forgiven him, but I haven't, because I'm holding it in here. And that's where you've got to release people from, from here. It's not just about saying, oh, I forgive you, and then going back to get them later on. It's not about that at all. And the other one, uh, we fell out with big, I fell out with big time, and never spoke again. And that's a friendship that's, that I've missed out on over, what, four bottles of Budweiser, half each. What a petty thing to fall out over. Four bottles of beer. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It is, quite frankly, ridiculous. And we need to get this in our, in our heads and in our hearts. And we need to give forgiveness freely because it's going to cost us if we don't. My challenge to you tonight is, is there someone in your life you need to forgive? It doesn't matter if they're repentant or not. You need to let it go. Because otherwise, it will stop you. It will stop you getting to your destiny. And I know it because I've had 23 years of it. You need to let go tonight. There are uh, a few verses. So I say there's a few verses in, in the Bible. Isn't understatement? There are a few verses on releasing people. There's Leviticus 18:19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. It's pretty clear that. Yeah. Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay," says the Lord. If revenge is an issue, leave it to God, because He will deal with it. And don't worry yourself with it anymore. And the reason God will deal with it is because he's just. Yeah. And we are not. I am most definitely not. As you, as you well know from the Budweiser story. <laughs> if you do not forgive, you will live your life searching for vindication, always trying to prove something. I spent the first 23 years of my life trying to discover who I was without realizing this test. And missed it totally by a mile. Last three years after passing this test, I have, I've got married, we're about to buy a house, we're moving on in life, I've got a great job, nice car, so you think, well they're all material things, they are, but they're, they're evidence of me moving into my destiny, and that's just the start. Yeah. Learning these tests and conquering these tests is important. If you've missed any of them, catch up. Yeah. This book's still here, if someone wants it, they can have it. The podcasts are up, there's loads of different talks up, listen to them, yeah. glean them for wisdom, absolutely rinse them because they're really important. Because at some point, even if you think that that the test isn't relevant at the moment, it will be in the future. Or you've missed it and it's in the past. Like this one for me. (laughs) The second point for the book is receive. Um, You will have a hard time giving forgiveness if you haven't got it. 
I think I'm lifting from about three different of Dave's talks tonight, but you can't give what you haven't got. The Bible makes it very clear there's a connection between our forgiveness uh, of others and God's forgiveness of us. Can I just have uh, Matthew 6, 12 to 15 up? So this is a little bit from the Lord's Prayer. This is the one I know very well because I went to Church of England Primary School and we said it about 15 million times every day. So it's pretty firmly lodged in here. And it's this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And verse 14 onwards is, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oof. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it's like, I wish that word verse wasn't there. And there it is. <laughs> verse 15. I'll leave that one with you. When I say it, it's going to cost us. God's forgiveness is free. It's freely accepted. Um, <laughs> after the last couple of hours, I was like, maybe I should use an example. Never really decided on one. And then it came to me just halfway through worship. Sam brought a great talk on prosperity, mate. I really enjoyed it. You need to listen to that talk. Um, it's one I've... Uh, taken a lot from. And this is a, bit, a little, little bit odd. I'm not told anyone's going to do this. But this is, uh, this is 20 quid. Right there. Do you want to hold it up to the light? See, that's free. John, mate, that's yours. Thank you. There you go, <laughs> that is how easily we should give forgiveness. I thought it would be easier doing something physical. The third one is belief. Um, and this is the single reason why I failed this test so many times. 23 years of failing. Um, that's pretty brutal. But you need to believe it. Um, and it sounds too good to be true. I think everything in life we've done wrong can be forgiven like that. Yeah. That sounds way too good to be free. It's like turning up at a wedding and discovering there's a free bar. I'm like, hmm, there's going to be a catch here somewhere. Is there an entrance fee or, or something like that? Don't stand in the corner. Get to the bar and get yourself a drink. There are a few verses on this. Um, that, there's a shed load, actually. I've got like three pages in it, but I'm just going to bring three for you. Um, Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Gone. Isaiah 53.6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Gone. There is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Easy, easy, easy. And if you take anything from tonight, take this verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I'm going to pass you over to Kerry Ann. So I'm going to be doing the last of the 10 tests for you tonight, which is the purpose test. And... I'd like to say ironically, but I don't think it's irony. It's definitely God. Um, I've definitely been put through this test this week. Um, always happens. Whenever you write anything, God always is going to then test whether or not you believe what you're actually talking about. So I reread it and thought this is definitely for me as well. So if you know the story of Joseph, you'll know that he had a dream at a very young age. He had this amazing dream that, that his family would bow down to him. But that didn't happen very quickly. 13 years it took for any glimmer of that to come into existence. And we pick up the story where Joseph is talking to his brothers 
And he's explained to them that he's not angry and he's not annoyed at them for selling him into slavery. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I have two older brothers, but if they sold me in slavery, I think I'd still be a little bit miffed, even after 13 years. Like, it's not the nicest thing to do to your siblings. I mean, I might not get on with my brothers all the time, but I've never actually thought about selling them into slavery. Maybe it might have made my life a little bit easier at times, but <laughs> it's not the right thing to do. But he's explaining to them in this passage that he has completely forgiven them for that. And that links into what Mike's been talking about, about pardon. And he forgives them for all of that because he sees his purpose in it. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis 45, 3. So it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is my father still living. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead from you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not for you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh and lord of the entire household and ruler of all Egypt. See, here we realize Everything that's happened to Joseph so far has happened for a reason. The light bulb moment happens right there. It's like everything, all of the selling into slavery, the being thrown into prison for something you didn't do, suddenly it appears to him that there is a reason for this, that there is a plan, that God has had that plan the whole time. And we might not know God's plan, you know. God's plan is a lot like you know what the destination is. You can see where you want to be in the distance. But he hasn't walked into the room and given you the light switch to the room. He's given you the flashlight. You get to see a few steps in front of you. You don't even get to see what's either side of you. You get to see the path right ahead of you. You don't have the light switch, the switch that tells you this is everything that's going to happen and this is why it all happens. We don't get that at the start. If we did, I don't think a lot of us would, A, step into it, because there'd be a lot of issues going on along the way, and it would almost be too easy. God wants to test us and grow us through it. But we know, or those of us that are here every week know, and if you're not here every week, you're going to find out now that God has a plan for each and every one of you. And it says that in Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of us know this. You should be able to reel it off by now. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, God has a plan for you. He doesn't say, I have a plan for everyone. It's all the same. I have one plan and that plan for me is the same as God's plan for Mike. He doesn't say that. He says, I have a plan for you. So that brings me on to my first point, which is your purpose is different from everyone else's, so stop comparing. Now, I can speak from a place of a person who constantly compares myself all the time to other people. And 
it's the worst thing you can possibly do because my plan is like no one else's in this room. I cannot compare my life to anyone else's because God designed my life for me. He didn't design it for anyone else. He designed the issues I went through, the problems I've gone through, the challenges I've had, all the good things I've had for my destiny, for my purpose. And he's done exactly the same for you. See, God tells us in the Bible that we're like parts of a body. And if you know this passage, it says 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, be for, that, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. See, God has created us like a body. We are the body of Christ. If people in this room tried to be like other people, that purpose, that plan that God had would not happen because they're too busy trying to do what the person next to them is doing when that is not what they're supposed to do. And God has a plan for everyone. And so you can't look at the person next to you. You've got to stick and focus on God. And it's not easy. It's not easy at all. We always will compare. But God gives us an insight into how to stop comparing. He says in James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. See, when we seek first God when we sort of look to him and follow his path and his journey for us, you'll stop caring about what all the other people are doing because you're focusing more on God and his plan and his purpose for you. And you'll no longer care about whether you have the nice shiny car that the person next to you has because that isn't your plan. That isn't your purpose. And you will know because you know God what he wants for you. So you will get this great insight, and it's all just coming close to him, getting to know him better. And you've made a great choice coming tonight because you're getting to know him better. You're getting to find out things about what he has planned for you. So my second point, which kind of links into some of the other tests, is your purpose will have trials. Hmm, never nice to hear. No one wants to hear that one. See, God never said to us that if you follow my plan... It'll be plain sailing, easy going. You're just going to take this direction and we're just going to go and it's all going to be fine. He never said that. In fact, he pretty much promises the opposite in John 16, 33. For I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says that you will have troubles, you will have obstacles, you will have challenges. He promises that for us, but he also promises that he's going to be there through those, that he'll be with you every step of the way through those. He's not just going to turn his back on you the moment you hit an obstacle and go, you can deal with that by yourself. I'm going to go off and deal with another person who's having a good life. It's like, no, he's going to be there the whole time because he's put those in place to grow you, to grow your character. He's building us and 
pushing us into our destiny. And we need to be the right people in order to reach into his purpose. So he's going to throw challenges our way because he wants to see that we can do it before he's going to give us the gift, before he's going to give us his dream for us. So we know God will work all things for good. But that doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life. I can tell you from personal experience that I've gone through things that make no sense or or seem like there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, but God will work all things for good. And it was that realization that everyone has things, everyone has those obstacles, those challenges, but God will work all things for my good. And I still don't know why those things happen, But I know in my heart with faith in God that he will show me why one day. And I can hold on to that knowing that he's amazing and above it all. See, Joseph had the same things. Joseph didn't have an easy life. He had 13 years of trials. 13 years. Like, (laughs) I'm like, I'd like, you know, bit of trials here and there, bit of trials here and there. 13 years. I mean, not the easiest life. But he realized in that moment at the end of it all, why it all happened. And we will have that moment. When we step into our purpose, things will fall into line and we will see why they happened. We will finally get to know why, what God's plan was. And it will be like a light bulb moment, like the room is lit and you will see everything that's happened and go, this is why. I know why, because God had this plan for me. So that brings me on to my third point which is your purpose requires God. You can't do it by yourself. If it's a God purpose, a God dream, it has to have God in it. It can't be just you doing it your way, trying to do everything by yourself because it's never going to work out that way. And God tells us that he'll be there through it. In Philippians 1.6, he says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to complete in you. He's going to take you through it. He's not going to point you in the right direction and then leave you to go there by yourself because our God is a good God that loves us and that will follow us into everything. If we are going out there in faith, if we are saying in faith that we are doing this because God has called us to, he is going to go with us. He's not going to leave us on the way. Like, honestly, I, five years ago, if you'd asked me, would I have said that I would leave York, move to the capital city of the UK, change my job, it would have been no, not me. I'm a really quiet person. <laughs> I know most of you probably can't believe that, but it was a really quiet person one day. <laughs> I'm a really quiet person. It's, it's not me. I want an easy life. I want to get married, settle down, have kids, buy a house, like just attend church on a Sunday and that'll be it. That'll be my life and I'll really enjoy it and it'll be wonderful. And here I was challenged to do it God's way. And doing it God's way doesn't mean doing it the easy way. It doesn't always mean following our plan because a lot of the time God's plan for you isn't what your perfect dream is. Your perfect dream might be this easy go in life, but God wants more from you. God has so much more for you than you have for yourself. 
But it is a daily choice. It's not just one choice that I'm going to do it God's way. You have to do it daily. And I fail at this quite frequently. (laughs) But in the times when I do it God's way, he's done more than I could have ever done by myself. I would never, ever, if you'd gone back and asked my youth workers when I was a teenager, if I would ever stand at the front and sing and worship, they would have said no. Because the first time I did it when I was in youth, I had a panic attack. It was horrible. It was like, but I would have said no, because I'm not that person. I'm not a confident person. Ask James. I mean, he would tell you that when he first met me, he did not think I was this person, like, who jumps off waterfalls and does crazy stuff on holidays with her parents. He would not have told you that because I've grown in that confidence because I've tried to do things God's way. And I know he has a purpose for you. And you might be sat there tonight thinking, yeah, this is great, Carrie ann but you know your purpose, and I have no idea what mine is. But you can know yours. You can find out what your purpose is. God has it for you, and he's embedded it in you. He's put it in you. So I'd be asking you, what do you enjoy doing? What are you gifted in doing? What's on your bucket list? What's important to you in terms of your values? What do you value in life that you think is important to have? Because for every single person in this room, that will be different. No one will have the same desires as the person they're sat next to because God designed us all differently. And he puts those things on our hearts because that's what he wants you to do. That's the thing he's determined that he needs you to continue in. I wrote my bucket list a couple of months ago off the back of a conference talk that we did. And I honestly think it was one of the best things I've ever done because it made me realize that there are so many things that got embedded in me that I hadn't even tapped into. So when I was looking through the other day, after the back of these dream series, I was just looking at what I'd written down, and I realized there's a real theme. Like, I'm talking in there about helping other people. I'm talking in there about helping young people. And I'm talking in there about worship. Now, I'm a teacher, so that's working with young people, helping young people. And I stand up most Sundays, confidently now, and sing in front of you guys because God put those things on my heart. And so those are the things that he wanted for me to do. And they will be completely different. You know, not every single one of you in here is designed to stand at the front and sing. Like, that's not for everyone. But you will have something that is yours, that is your perfect purpose, God-given dream. And you need to tap into that. And you need to realize what that is. Because when you do, God's going to take you on such a massive journey. And he's going to bring you through the highs and the lows. But when you get to the end of it, it will all make such sense. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 